So here I am walking. Not sure how I got here. I'm not even sure what makes me walk. But nevertheless, I'm walking. I woke up one morning on a journey, very aware of my surroundings, but completely unaware of why I am on this quest. Do I walk for me? Do I walk for others? Do I walk for my family? I feel very alone, so I'm really not sure. Just keep walking. What happens when I get there? That concerns me. But I still walk. So I just keep walking. We continue our series this morning on a quest for life. And uh, we're going to be looking at some of the keys to the walls that block us in. One of the main phrases that really defines part of what this series is about is simply this, an awareness, a deep reflective awareness of yourself and your own relationship with God are very closely tied. If you don't know yourself, if you don't take time to really pay attention to what's going on, then it's going to be very hard to have a great deep relationship with God. Now, we're going to start today by talking about some of the keys to some of the walls that we're going to face, and we're going to go in a little more depth over the next few weeks on some of those. But uh, you probably have experienced someone like this in your life. In fact, it's very possible that you may personally relate to being like this person. Uh, There's a friend of mine, I'm not going to use her real name, uh, named Brenda. And she grew up in a home where uh, she learned a lot of family norms, a lot of rules. Her mom was the type of person who bent over backwards to be the best hostess around. I mean, I have to admit, as a kid, it was great going to their home because you always left with just an amazing spread and really well taken care of. Although, once in a while, it kind of made you nervous because she was so nervous about taking care of you that it kind of passed off on you. Uh, Brenda's dad was very similar, just in a different way. Uh, He was the type of guy who no matter what was going on in his life and his priorities of his life, if there was a problem, if you broke down, if you had a flat tire, if you needed something, he dropped whatever and went to care for you regardless of the cost to himself. Now, Brenda married young, married a guy with some really strong character, had a successful uh, career and a wonderful family and And she just continued living that way. She took on those norms. She was just the greatest hostess, served behind the scenes, never wanted to be out front, never asserted herself, just cared for everybody all the time behind the scenes. But about 25 years into their marriage, all of a sudden she changes. She just becomes this angry, assertive person struggling with who she is and And I've watched many people go through that, whether it was 7 or 10 or 15 or 25 years into their marriage. It's not uncommon for either the man or the woman to go through this time where all of a sudden they just change. And and for them, they made it through. They still have a strong marriage. But I've seen many people lose their marriage over times like this. You see, for years, 
Brenda lived her life just saying yes to everything and didn't feel like she could say no. Even though she wanted to, even though she wished she could, she would just say yes because she had to live up to those walls constructed of this is what a good Smith family person is. This is what we do and this is what religion says we should do and the expectations and and the reality is that we, we soon began to realize that we hadn't seen the real Brenda ever. We saw a facade of what she was, an imposter. And sure, everyone liked the facade. She was nice. She was wonderful. Everybody loved her. We loved it. But it was killing her inside to live up to some of those expectations. It squelched the gift of who God had made her to be and forced her to be something else. Now, have you ever been, maybe you don't relate fully to the story with Brenda, but have you ever been in a place where maybe it was work, or maybe it was church, or a small group, or someplace community organization you were serving in, maybe even with your own family, where they were going around saying how wonderful you were, and they were listing lots of specifics, and inside you were smi- outside you were smiling, but inside you were going, if they only knew how much I wished I didn't have to do that how much I wished I could do something different. Have you ever had that experience where they project on you something and you go, that's not me. I wish I could be free to be me. Like Brenda, we all at a certain point in our lives and in many different ways throughout our life live in a facade. We present something to people that we think our family wanted, we think our boss wanted, we think our wife or our husband or or we think other people want to us. And like Brenda, we rob ourselves of the gift that God really gave to us of knowing deeply who we are and who he is to us and living life in this full array of color. Instead, we live under these expectations that drain us, these these roles that drain us. And truth be told, we're also robbing God because he created us in such a way and he has such, this, such a beautiful plan to let his gifts flow through us to other people in such amazing ways that we rob him of the beauty that he created us for and we rob others around us of, of who God wants us to be to them because we're something that's nice but not powerful in God, not what he wants us to be, not the real us. We give them a facade I so want, above all else, in everything we do here, but through this series in particular, I so want you to be blessed. I want to be blessed myself in living a life that is full of color and freedom rather than through the expectations and the pressure of our society or or people around us or family or the beliefs we have about ourselves or the definition of success. Thanks, I'll get that word out yet that we're trying to achieve, or, or I want us to be able to live beyond the lies that we picked up because of the pain so that we can really be free to live a life of vibrant color instead of just making it. You know, if you don't really know what's inside you, you'll always live other people's dreams, other people's expectations. If you don't become really reflective of what's going on in you and where God's in that, you will always live somebody else's dream for you. In fact, if you don't know yourself, think about it. 
how can you give yourself to God? If you don't really know who you are, how can you give the best of yourself to God when you don't know it? How can you have any healthy relationship? If you don't know who you are and who God's made you to be in that inner sex, how can you even have a healthy marriage and give to each one another as God designed? It limits our intimacy. It limits our love. It limits our joy. And Adam and Eve, when we look at them in the garden before they sinned, they were so congruent between the outside and the inside. Outside was exactly what was inside. They knew what was going on and they they didn't have the need to hide anything. It was complete freedom and joy to be who God exactly made them to be. But but only a couple chapters into Genesis, we quickly see that what sin brought when it came into the world in their lives was this divided brokenness. They started to try to hide part of themselves and hold back part of themselves from each other and from God. And even deny some of it for themselves. And so instead they begin to blame and they cut God off. And they put on masks. And we begin, because of sin, to construct this facade of what we think is good and whole and right. Instead of letting God discover in us and teach us and heal us. Like our first parents, we divide ourselves too. We wrestle with ourselves. We wrestle with who we are. We're, we, we debate. We put on masks in order to get what we think we need and what we think we want. Now, if you want to pull out from your program, it'll be on the screen if you don't have one of these as well, but I wanted you to just read through these. There's, here's a list of some symptoms, just some questions that, that might indicate that we live from a false sense of self, from a facade. First question we've kind of already covered in the illustration, do I often say yes when I really want to say no? Do I get depressed or anxious when people are upset with me? Do I need the approval of others before I feel good about myself or before I can have a good day? And sometimes that even translates to God. Can I have a good day if if life goes chaotic and I don't have time in the morning with him? Or am I just going to feel bad about the day? Do I act nice to someone on the outside, but on the inside, I can't stand them, but I can't deal with the issue. So I just put on a nice smile and be nice. Do I often remain silent in order to keep the peace? Just, just avoid it. Do I believe that if I, mista- if I make mistakes, I am a failure and should be embarrassed? Do I criticize others in order to feel better about myself? And we don't do this consciously. I don't know very many people who do this consciously, but are, are there people around you who maybe got promotions or maybe are in positions of leadership and, and for whatever reason you find yourself always needing to look at the negative or, or say something, ah, you know, they're, they're, they're good at this, but I think they're going to fall because of this. Do we have to focus on and bring up the negative in other people? in order to feel good about ourselves? Do I try to avoid looking weak or foolish for not having the answer? Do I have to be doing something exceptional to feel alive? Do we have to be the best at something? Do we have to feel really, really great and competent in order to be able to do something and feel alive? Or can we just enjoy doing it regardless of how well we do it if God wants us to be there? You see that in playing cards. Can you play cards and not win? Do I do what others want so that I can, so they don't get mad at me? Do I use knowledge and confidence to cover my feelings of inadequacy, project this confidence and, and always quote statistics or knowledge or other people? Do I want my children to behave well so others will think I'm a good parent? Do I compare myself to other people 
either feeling not good enough or pretty enough, or do I have these fantasy arguments with them in my mind, trying to prove in my mind, in an argument in my head with them, that I'm more competent and I'm right and I'm capable and I'm good. These are symptoms of facade, and they indicate for us walls that we need to walk through in order to be free. They indicate walls that press in on us and cause us to be people who settle for a grayness and a dullness in life rather than the color God wants us to have. 1 Samuel 17, we're going to look at today. And it's a story that is commonly referred to as a children's story. But I want you to try to visualize yourself in it as an adult because it really is a story about adults. And I want you to just picture in your mind for a second, just picture yourself on the side of a hill with a couple hundred thousand men Stinky military guys, haven't showered for days. Don't visualize this. Don't think about the stink too much. Let's just think about the men, what they look at. And look across this narrow valley to this other hillside and see it with an enemy army equal or greater in size. And as you look at this other side across the valley, walking through these men, you see this imposing man step out from their ranks. And imposing is an understatement. This man is nine foot tall and he's about as wide and he's chiseled muscle and his, his armor bearer is somebody that most of the best warriors on your side would be afraid to go up against. And, and here this guy is there and his, his, his spear head is heavier than your entire javelin. His coat of armor weighs as much as you weigh at 125 pounds because that's probably what the average person back then was, probably just a little over 5 foot and 125 pounds is probably what most men were back in that day according to archaeology. And this imposing man has been coming out for 40 days, two times a day, ridiculing you and the army and ridiculing your God. And every time he comes out, have you ever had this moment when you've been in a place of shock or fear where your gut just drops and all the blood leaves your head and you just feel just sucked out of you? That's what you feel like when he comes out. And he's daring anyone to fight. Just come and fight me. If you beat me, he says, you can, we'll, we'll be your slaves. If I beat you, then you'll be our slaves and we'll just settle this battle without everybody having to fight. And then he says this, he says, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing this, the Philistines' words, Saul, the king, and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Not just anxious, not just a little bit fearful, not just a little nervous, dismayed and terrified. And in this story, David, not the king, not the adult, Not the warrior that everybody knows, but David, the boy, emerges on the scene. And his journey through his walls in this story are really some of the journeys of the walls that we have to face as well. David finds in the story three key walls that we see him walking through. In verse 23, David brings food, is basically just bringing food to his older brothers. He's the guy staying at home while everybody else goes off to war. And as it says in verse 23, as he is talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And when the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? How he comes out to defy Israel? 
And David asked the man standing near him, skipping over to verse 26, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And here's where David hits his first wall, and he walks through it. He walks through the wall of his family. Now, we don't know exactly what his family was like, They may have been completely wonderful and healthy on the whole, but even in the healthiest of families, we have dysfunction. And we pass some of that dysfunction on to other people. Verse 28 says, When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now, maybe his family on the whole is fairly healthy, but there's clear family dysfunction in this statement. David is left as a misunderstood, demeaned, unsupported, labeled as conceited and wicked of heart. By who? By Eliab, his oldest brother, who in that day would be considered the second greatest authority in his family life other than his dad. This is a guy he looks up to who's supposed to respect him and love him, and yet he demeans him and says, you are just worthless, and you have worthless character and worthless motives. You are so small and puny. What are you doing here? He's got some big obstacles in his family dynamic to overcome. He's got negative messages that require him to either buck the family system. And can you imagine the pressure of the family system? His oldest brother, all of his people looking at him, they're so much bigger, so much better, so much stronger. And they send him these negative messages. He either has to buck them or he has to live with the walls of this negative identity and the expectations. Secondly, David walks through the wall that's put there by significant people of authority in his life who also are seeking to shut him down. Saul, this imposing person. I mean, remember, Saul's description is he is a head taller than everybody else and this big man, he's impressive to look at. Everybody looks at him and goes, wow, you know? Saul, this guy who a few chapters earlier had led 300,000 men in a very great victory over an opposing force. It's this Saul who hears about David asking about this Goliath and who would fight him, and he calls this boy to him. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you felt like you knew what God wanted you to do, but it just seemed like there was no way to do it? This story should encourage you that God can work through even the most imposing authority to open a door to invite you in. But then look what happens. David says to Saul in 1 Samuel 17, 32, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. This is David speaking. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul, this highly regarded king, replies, you are not able to go up against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a boy, and he has been a fighting man from his youth. Now, if you were David, how would you respond? I'm not asking you to think about what you would do. I'm asking you to think about what, what would be the message in your heart that was going on that would motivate you 
to respond in this experience in life. When other people are trying to say, no, you can't, no, you can't. And, and think about this. I mean, this is, a, this is just not an ordinary, this is not just Saul, but think about it. On his way in to meet with Saul, David would have already walked through all the best warriors of Israel. The, the elite guard of the king would have been standing there, and he would have walked through all these guys and already known and seen how terrified they were of Goliath. There's huge pressure here. This is an identity-shaping moment, and we've had them. We've had them with parents. We've had them with bosses. We've had them with coaches. We've had them with spouses. Huge identifying moments where we're told, you can't do this. You're incapable. What would your natural reaction be? I mean, the natural reaction, I think, would be, well, I guess you would know. And so we'd walk away. We'd walk away with our tail between our legs and our head down, embarrassed. But David persists. In spite of the fact that everyone standing in front of him are also God-fearing men, David persists. And Saul relents and puts on armor, puts armor on David and says, you want to go? Go. Go fight him. Verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of honor on him, armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And he says, I cannot go in these, he said, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. And imagine the crowd around him going, you idiot. Everybody fights in armor. This guy, even, even the nick from this guy could kill you. And you're bound, all of us, the best of the warriors, are bound to get nicked at some point in a battle. But David says, this isn't me. And he cuts through the authority around him and the norms of the culture because basically what they're saying to him, David, you're not trained well enough. You haven't got enough training. You haven't got enough experience. You haven't gone through military school. You're not ready to do this. If you can't even wear the army what, armor, what are you thinking? But he cuts through the authority around him and the norms. Now, obviously, this passage could be dangerous as well, and people have used it dangerously. Because if you're not completely aware of who you are, if you're not deeply reflective like David was on knowing who you are and knowing God and knowing what God is leading you to, then there's been a lot of people who've used this passage to go out in God's name and try to do something great and foolish, but they've never learned the lesson David learned of knowing themselves and knowing their gifts and knowing who they are and knowing how God was going to work through them. Imagine standing on the perimeter of this whole scene and watching it as David walks out. You can cut the tension with a knife. It's so thick. And yet David walks through this obstacle with this sense of peace and almost calm. The third wall is facing the Goliaths in our lives. And these are, these are just really for us in a more practical sense, those big decision moments where, where we're really intimidated but we're really excited. There's, there are great risk, great reward moments. There are the times when, when we could do this and it, and it might blow up in our face, but it could also be a huge reward. And that's, that's obvious here. I mean, whoever beats Goliath is going to get a big reward, and, and we know that. And it's, 
And it's those make-or-break moments in our life. And the truth is that a lot of times when we face those moments, we see the break, but we have a hard time seeing the make in those moments. Imagine yourself in David's shoes. Verse 42, he says, He, Goliath, looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. He said, Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Can you imagine being mocked at that level? I'm sure if we if we took ourselves out of this actual scene, because sometimes this scene prevents us from seeing that, but if we took ourselves into our own lives, I think you'd, you, you could come up with moments when other people were disdaining you. When in an argument with somebody, maybe it was a boss or a marriage or something, where the other person or the friend, maybe the other person was, was pushing on and only seeing your weaknesses and pushing on those weaknesses and holding those weaknesses up in your face and saying, like an ID, like a three, IMAX 3D theater saying, you can't do this. Have you ever been there? When somebody pushed on your weaknesses so much, you're insensitive and you'll never meet my needs. You're a complete failure. Or maybe, maybe you've heard you're too touchy and feely and are completely irrational and, they, and the person just crushes you and defeats even your perspective of life, dishonoring your perspective. It's just the, the message is you're too slow, you're too stupid, you're, you're too dumb, you're too smart to be of earthly use. And Goliath is saying, who is this ruddy little boy, this, this dog that is just a joke to send against me? You see... The truth is, if you step out and seek to be who God has made you to be, seek to be the authentic person he's made you to be, you're going to wrestle with several questions. You're going to wrestle with not just the strength questions, but you're going to wrestle with, God, how do I live this when my weaknesses are here? Because people will throw your weaknesses up in your face all the time. And they'll create your identity out of your weaknesses rather than your identity out of what God wants. They're going to throw the preparedness questions up in front of you. Are you really capable? Are you really able to do this or not? And most importantly, they're going to throw the, the, the possibility of failure in your face. And we're going to have to face those questions of, I could die out there. This could be a disaster. Unless we face that question, we can't walk through these Goliath walls, whether they're opportunities that seem like a dream, but they're big and threatening and make us anxious, or whether they're threats to us in conflict or hurt that come our way. But David's guidance is from God. It's coming from the inside of himself. He takes his armor off. He quietly walks to the nearby stream. Verse 40 says, Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from, the, from a stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. It's, it's almost giving you the picture of just this methodical, I'm just, this is what I normally do. It's just a normal day. Takes his sling in his hand and approaches the Philistine. His guidance is coming from within because he so knows who he is. He knows what his strength is. He knows he knows how to use a sling, and God has taught him how to do that. And it doesn't matter what the norms around him say. He can do what God is leading him to do. He's not divided within himself. And the Bible teaches us that the Holy Spirit is inside of us. 
And so learning to be deeply reflective is also a part of us, even learning to hear the Holy Spirit and know him. If we can't be deeply reflective, then we can't even fully know the guidance of the Holy Spirit, and we can't walk into situations like this with the confidence that David does. A ruddy little boy going against somebody twice the size, and yet he's calm, he's peaceful, because he's not divided. He knows who he is, and he knows who God is. And here's maybe possibly the most important point of the day. David's not going out dependent on doing the right things in order to seek the people's love to feel good about himself. He's not doing out of guilt and sorrow over the demeaning of Israel. He's not doing it just to keep the peace and make everybody happy. He's not doing it because I must succeed in order to have impact and have a worthwhile life and feel good about myself. He's doing it simply from the position of, I know myself, I know God, and I know he said for me to do this, period. Too often, because we don't know ourselves and we divorce our faith from knowing ourselves, we go out and fight God's battles in someone else's armor, and we wonder why we go out there trying to get approval or we try to get other things met and fighting the battle, and, and we wonder why us at five foot two, 125 pounds, fighting a Goliath, nine foot, 350 pounds, get our heads chopped off. One of God's gifts to us is that he made us a certain way. And he wants us to know how good he made us. And he wants us to know where he's working in that goodness within us. You see, David gets counsel, and counsel is good. We should respect counsel, but there are times in our life when we should go against that counsel. And David does that here. Why? He does it because he knows that they can't see what he sees because he's spent time looking at himself and, looking at, and letting God look at himself. Often we face these monster problems in our life and we face these monster opportunities and, and we make poor choices. Even when the Goliaths are huge opportunities, we, we make these choices to get this promotion and, and it only results in us living the Peter principle, being promoted beyond our means and we get, we get frustrated and stressed and we carry that home or, or we take this promotion and we sacrifice family and, and, and values and, and, and our own personal health in order to constantly do more to live up to this definition of success instead of really knowing ourselves and what God wants us to be about. And the result of David knowing himself is a great victory, not just for himself, but for the nation. And the result of each one of us knowing ourselves and knowing where God's at work in us so well is a victory for us. It's a victory for our children. It will be a victory for our family because they will know the real you in the full power of how God created you to be in the giftedness that he placed in you. His gifts will be able to flow so much better than they've ever flown. And our choice is simply this. We can live as terrified Israel, living the life that's not ours living in fear of embarrassment, living in fear of being wrong, living in fear of a disapproval. Or we can live the life that David lived, deeply aware, strong enough in knowing God's work in him and who he was that he could walk through these walls. And the question is, where are we? Where are you? 
Are, are you living life in full color by living deeply reflective and aware of yourself, knowing God so that you can face with peace and confidence your own fears, your own family messages, the messages authority figures around you have placed in your life? When you look at the symptoms on this list of the, of the symptoms of false self, do you check a number of these? Maybe you only check a few. Maybe you're really, really pretty healthy. Maybe you're really transformed well. But even if you check a couple, it means that there's some areas in your life where you're living confined in walls and God wants to take you out of the darkness and the grayness of those walls into something much more beautiful. Now, to see David, to visualize David kneeling down at the brook, picking up the stones unhurriedly, in the face of things like this. Isn't that the life that we long for? To be able to face even the hardest things with that level of sense of peace and knowing that God's in it. And Jesus gave us this great promise. He said, I will be with you. And he's inviting us today, he's inviting us through this series. He's inviting us to continue this quest for our lifetime of facing the walls of our family facing the walls of significant others with authority and the norms that our culture says this, is, this should define you of who you are and to directly face the dark and painful and anxiety-inducing opportunities and threats in our life, the Goliaths. If the worship guys could come, appreciate it. I want to lead you in a, just a meditation uh, and to leave you with, with a verse that in this context has been extremely meaningful to me. And I want you, while we're, if you wouldn't mind just closing your eyes, and I want to picture the walls that you know about. Just take a moment and picture the walls that you know about. And then I'll let you, I'll finish talking here for just a second, then I'll let you have a moment here. When you begin to picture those walls, just, I'm going to read the scripture several times, several different ways. And I want you to just, Soak in the words. Just trust God to make the words that he wants to speak to you to stand out to you. And allow yourself to visualize what that might look like in regard to the walls that you see and what it might feel like if he's this to you. Okay, so just take a moment and picture, picture the walls. Listen to the words that God speaks over you. He says, He guides me. He guides me in the path of righteousness for His name's sake. When I'm facing the walls, God guides me. He guides me in the right paths. Not for my name's sake. Not for anybody else's sake. But for his sake. He guides me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake.
never changes he never changes he created you he wants you to be everything he created you to be he wants you to move past the grayness the dullness the frustration the is this all there is God to a place that even if you're facing a Goliath your life can feel vibrant and full of color full of peace, full of courage. I'd like to invite you, uh, if you're here and you've identified some areas of grayness and you would just like somebody to pray with you, we'll have some people down here. Uh, If some of you who are willing to pray can start coming now, that would be great. But I also want to invite you to... um, follow up this week with the after the message. We're going to have some exercises, some scriptures, some meditation things that you can apply this more deeply and continue to go more deeply to help you learn to become really aware of what's going on inside and where God's working in you. And I also want to invite you to ask you to invite a friend and come back next week. Next week we're going to talk about facing the darkness and the week following that we're going to talk about honoring your family dysfunction. And I think uh, that both you and any friends that you'll invite would be very blessed by God and be ministered to by God for that. So, Lord, thank you for this day. I pray that you would continue to reveal yourself to each one of us, that we would be convinced of your goodness, convinced of your glory through us. Just as the great church father said, the glory of God is you being fully alive. That's what he wants for you. God bless. Have a great week. If you'd like prayer, come.